and what's going on everyone welcome back to the program it is not your average boston sports podcast i am your host garrett hayden as always you can listen to the podcast on apple podcasts and on spotify and you can follow our social pages on twitter and on facebook for the latest updates uh, great to be back with you folks this week uh took a little bit of a week off last week uh Felt like it was a, a good time for that. I think especially with sports being a little bit uh, on the quiet side, you know, with the Celtics coming off all-star break and things like that. So, you know, didn't feel like it was going to be a lot of content last week, but uh, great to be back uh, this week. Got uh, some good kind of guests in the in the works for the next couple of weeks. So looking forward to that. But uh you know, great to be back. You know, things are pretty dang good for the Bruins and the Celtics. Uh, we'll get into both of those teams um, in a second. Uh, if you would like to read some of my written content at uh, Musket Fire, you can feel free to do that. I wrote an uh, article last week about the Patriots' offensive line. Uh, we'll be working on an article this week as well, so you can uh, be on the lookout for that. So, we're going to get started. We're going to talk a little bit about the Bruins. And uh, boy, what a win it was on Saturday Saturday evening um, in Vancouver. Uh, Bruins continuing their uh, Western Canada swing um, in Vancouver after a wild win in Seattle. Bruins win 6-5 uh, to five Thursday night, a really wild game. Back and forth, Bruins down a goal with four minutes to go. Bruins tie it. Jake DeBrusque with the winner. Bruins come out of Seattle, a 6-5 winner on their first game of the trip. And then it was kind of just a workmanlike win in Vancouver. Bruins get the early lead, hang on, and set the stage for <laughs> Linus Olmark to become the uh, 13th goalie in NHL history to score um, on an empty net, there were, I believe that there are two goalies, I think Ron Hextall and Brodeur, I think are the only goalies that have scored more than once, and there could have been someone else, I actually watched a video on YouTube yesterday of the, all the goalies that have scored, so that was uh, definitely a tremendous sight to see, you know, it's always uh, really cool when you're watching a game and you see a history made, you know, type of history like that, that you don't see goalie goals often. You know, last goalie goal was uh, just over three years ago in 2020. Uh, Pecorine of the Predators scored on an empty net. So really awesome uh, to see that. And uh, not the first time a Bruins goaltender has uh, attempted to score on an empty net. Jeremy Swayman had an opportunity earlier this season um, and had missed. And then I think I think Olmark had gotten a chance in the Winter Classic, too. Um, so, you know, he goes for it and uh, drills it dead center. So a really great way to uh, punctuate that win in Vancouver. You know, it was not the prettiest game. You know, not was a, wasn't, you know, a dominant performance that the Bruins had the first time they played Vancouver earlier this season. But, you know, this is just a group that has found different ways to win. And I think... That's one of the things I've been so impressed with the entire season. You know, and you've probably heard me say that a bunch of times this season, that they find different ways to win. If it's a high-scoring game, they can win that. You know, if it's a low-scoring checking game where you really have to work hard, they can win those games too, you know. So it's just uh, obviously been a special season, you know, and it continues to be a special season, you know, a goalie goal and all the great things that this team has been able to do, you know, they've won six in a row now and, you know, it's uh, just remarkable. This is a team that's gone this far into the season uh, with not, without double digit regulation losses. This is a team that sits at 48 or 45, 45, eight, eight and five. So just a tremendous, um, tremendous run, you know, and it's a, uh, I feel like I'm just running out of things to say about this team, that they just continue to win, continue to find ways to win. And 
you know, guys are stepping up. You know, it's not every night that Pasternak is scoring two to three goals. You know, the Bruins are getting goals from everywhere. You know, every guy is contributing. The defense has been great. You know, the Bruins get even better defensively with the, the trade last week, which we'll touch on a little bit here. Um, but I don't want to touch on too much because we're going to talk about that uh, later this week on Guest Friday. But, you know, it's just a team that's so deep with all the different things that they can do. And the rich get richer, as they say, with the Bruins making a really, a really good hockey trade that I think is definitely going to benefit them um, down the stretch. Um, but again, just a tremendous... Uh, Tremendous play by Olmark, and what a year he's had. You know, I think clearly, to me at least, odds-on favorite to win uh, the Vesna Trophy with the numbers that he's put together, uh, 34-1 and one on the season with 186 goals against average, 938 save percentage. I mean, as I've said multiple times this season, video game numbers uh, for Linus Olmark, and it's just uh, pretty amazing to see him work that, you know, is a guy that you really didn't know much about when the Bruins signed him to that four-year deal uh, two years ago. You know, he's in the second year of this deal and really didn't know what to expect. You know, I think uh, it just, it speaks to the tremendous player development that the Bruins have. You know, Bob Asenza, the goalie coach, um, has done an amazing job throughout the years. And I think the Bruins have this great luxury that they can have this unbelievably talented goaltender with Olmark, you know, a guy who could win, you know, best goalie in the league. And then you have Jeremy Swayman, who's kind of the young guy, and he's done, stepped up to the task every time the Bruins have asked him to. Um, and I think that he's just done a tremendous job also, you know, and I think it's just so nice in this regular season that the Bruins can lean on both of these guys and feel like they have an equally good chance to win a game. You know, this is not like a team that has an unbelievable starting goaltender. I mean, like, let's take a look at Tampa Bay, for example. You know, Vasilevsky's been one of the best goalies in the league for quite a long time. Their backup, Brian Elliott, while is, you know, okay, is not really at the level that, you know, Swayman is, for example. And so the Bruins have this great luxury that they have two elite goaltenders that, you know, they can throw out every so often. So, you know, it really, uh, <laughs> I know that there's, you know, there, there was some chatter in the uh, Boston media uh, apparatus in the last week about uh, two goaltenders, you know, and apparently having two good goaltenders is not allowed, which I didn't really didn't it was not aware of that but you know I think it will be interesting to see come playoff time you know what the decision is going to be it's probably going to be Allmark you know you would think that he's the guy that's been you know the best goalie for you start to finish um, and he's probably the guy that's going to get most of the starts but you can have the advantage to having a really good backup in case you need to throw Swayman in there for a game you know I don't think it's a thing that needs to be you need to play one or the other and you trade the other person I mean that's just insane um, but it's like you know I understand the thought process of typically one goalie plays in the playoffs but it's not always the case you know Pittsburgh in uh, one of the years that they went back to back 2016 or 2017 both goaltenders Matt Murray and Flurry played each played more than 10 games I think Murray played 15 and Fleury maybe played 10 um, but you know not going to say that the Bruins are going to split the net like that in the playoffs but it gives you a great opportunity to have both of these guys to be able to play so you know I think keeping an eye on Olmark's workload um, is going to be interesting the rest of the season you know, do you see Swayman get some more games? But, you know, Allmark has stood up to the task when the Bruins have asked him to play. So 
you know, there's not really a reason to you know, have him stop playing necessarily because it's like then you do run into kind of an issue if, you know, Swayman gets two or three starts during a week, then Olmark is, is cold and comes in cold not playing in a week or so. So I think it's like, yeah, he's playing a lot, but at the same time, you don't want to have him completely stop playing for like a week. So, you know, it will be interesting. I think the Bruins have, have handled the net pretty well this season in terms of somewhat equal starts between the guys, but it's like, well, Mark's your best goalie and he's been the best goalie in the league. So it's like, you would want to play him as much as you can. So it will be kind of interesting to see. Bruins do have um, a back-to-back uh, a game in Edmonton tonight, um, and then we'll take on Calgary tomorrow night. So you got to think that Swayman will get uh, one of these games. Uh, but it will be a really exciting game tonight, Bruins and Oilers, for the first time this season. Obviously, Connor McDavid, David Pasternak is chasing him. Um, the goal-scoring race is... I think about six goals behind at this point. So you got to bet that one of them scores a goal tonight, maybe both. So it's going to be an exciting uh, game to watch. And then the Bruins will play them um, again at the Garden next week. So it will be a couple of exciting games. You know, Bruins and Oilers, both very high-scoring teams, very talented top to bottom. So, you know, you could see one of these games that they play be a very exciting, high-scoring type game. Uh, certainly would be an exciting game to watch uh, tonight. So, um, obviously, Bruins made uh, a trade last week with the uh, Washington Capitals. Obviously, the Minnesota Wild were involved in the trade as well with kind of being a third team. So, take a look at the overall look at this. Uh, trade that was completed last week. Bruins, or Bruins actually, you know, made this big trade with uh, Washington and then did make another separate trade, which uh, we'll talk about in a couple minutes. But obviously, Bruins acquiring Garnet Hathaway, Dmitry Orlov from the Washington Capitals, um, and then also acquired a a prospect from the Minnesota Wild, Andre Svetlakov, who has not played, um, I don't believe has played in North America yet. So the Bruins get the uh, signing rights to him um, as he has yet to sign um, any type of entry-level contract. So it looked like Minnesota was the third team involved as um, they took... Um, Minnesota took part of Orlov's salary. So they paid part of Orlov's salary. Washington paid part of his salary as well. So the Bruins got Dmitry Orlov for, I think, 75% or you know, maybe it's 25% of whatever his current salary was. Um, so that's how they made the money work. Bruins obviously sending Craig Smith and three picks uh, to Washington, which, you know, I think some people are maybe a little bit put off by, but I do think that the Bruins are getting a really quality player in Orlov. Um, Hathaway, you know, not a bad player either. Not necessarily my uh, favorite player on the Capitals, so just say that, but, you know, someone that I think plays the game, um, plays a good playoff-style game. You know, plays, you know, a guy who finishes his check, plays really hard, um, and someone who's hard to play against. And I think the Bruins, you know, identify that they wanted to get someone in the bottom six to kind of just beef it up a little bit. And, you know, Orlov is a great addition. He's a guy who can play a lot of minutes. You know, I think he's been playing close to 20 minutes a night, which, you know, is outstanding because it gives the Bruins another defenseman that can play big minutes, and, you know, I think as much as the Bruins have been able to, you know, stay healthy for the majority of this year, especially defensively, maybe the trade for Orlov doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but I do think that playoffs, playoff injuries happen, and the Bruins know that as well as any other team. So, you know, having some good insurance, but then also 
you know, Orloff, who can play big minutes. He can play with McAvoy. Um, you saw him playing with Derek Forbert on Saturday, which I think is a good idea because you want to try him with different guys, see how he looks, you know, play him with Forbert. Maybe Clifton comes back into the lineup. You try Orloff and Clifton together. Do you try Orloff with McAvoy? You know, I think that there are just a lot of options that the Bruins have, and I think the great thing is the Bruins do have a lot of games in quick succession before the end of the season, so you have an opportunity to be able to rotate different guys in, get them some minutes. So I think that that's going to be good to kind of watch, you know, see who does Orlov end up playing a lot of minutes with. It's just, it's just great that the Bruins have gone out and made a really good, really solid trade without really having to give up much. You know, obviously the picks are, the picks are going to be the picks, but it's just, you have a special team this year. You have a team that is good enough to win a championship. You're playing at an elite level. F the draft picks is what I would say. You know, you're in a position to win a championship. And if you see an opportunity to really load up your team, you go for it. You know, and I think that, look, there are other trades the Bruins could have made that could have been a lot worse than this. You know, the Bruins could have traded a, a couple of top prospects. You know, they could have gone all in to try to acquire Timo Meyer or, you know, Patrick Kane or someone like that. They could go all in and trade some of their young guys. So it's a good move. It's a solid move. And I think that it's going to pay dividends in the playoffs with two guys that are experienced, two guys that have won, um, you know, an Orlov in that championship year that Washington had, you know, is playing 22 minutes. So it's a guy that has had a lot of mileage, but can play at a really high level. So it is going to be interesting to see what happens in the summer with both of these guys being free agents. You know, be curious to see if the Bruins decide to bring back either one. You know, probably does depend on the production and, you know, how they play after the trade. But I think it's going to be, you know, interesting to see going forward how they use both of these guys. Um, you know, it affects the lineup and the way that the Bruins are going to have to rotate some guys in and out. But I think trading Craig Smith, bringing in Hathaway, you can kind of move Hathaway around like you move Greg Craig Smith. You play him on the fourth line, play him on the third line, you know. You can play around with different lineups and just the thought of the Bruins possibly rolling out a line that looks like, you know, Greer, Frederick, and Garnet Hathaway. It's just, that is not a line that I would want to play against. So, you know, I think that it just gives the Bruins someone that can you can plug into a lineup and, you know, it can be concerning for a team to have to, you know, figure out how they're going to attack, you know, certain lines. And I think the Bruins have done a fantastic job of building four really solid lines so that a team can't go in and say, okay, we want to shut down this line. Well, then if you do that, then another line's going to kill you. So really liked the trade. You know, we'll talk more about that later this week. Um, the Bruins did also make another trade on Saturday, uh, sending Keith Kincaid to the Colorado Avalanche for Shane Bowers, who's a former first-round pick of the Ottawa Senators, and then was traded to, I believe was traded to Colorado um, in the Matt Duchesne trade a number of years ago. Um, so Bowers, obviously first-round pick, 28th overall in 2017, has been with the Avalanche for the last couple of years, has only played in one game at the NHL level, but has played plenty in the AHL, played a couple of years at BU. So be interesting to see if the Bruins use him at all the rest of the season. He is a left shot center, which I think is something the Bruins do kind of need a need some organizational depth at that position. And, you know, selling high on Keith Kincaid, who was a quality you know, backup or whatever his role was in Providence, did also play, appear in a 
NHL game very early this season and played really well. So I think that that was a solid trade. Not sure you see Bowers um, in, NHL, in an NHL game this year, you know, unless things go horribly wrong. But I think it's good to have just some organizational depth. Bruins taking a chance on a former first-round pick. So that was kind of a decent move. Bruins also... Seems like they're they're sniffing around for possibly uh, making another move, which I think is interesting. You know, I think that you know clearly the Bruins, you know, could look at another bottom six, you know, maybe a center. But I also feel like with Nosek coming back from injury, you know, they might feel pretty set at that spot. But you never know. You know, there could be someone that you could take off teams' hands. You know, Nick Bukestad from Arizona, Nick Benino from San Jose. You know, there are some guys that could become available, but I think with the Bruins, you know, I think trading some of the draft picks that they did, they probably want to be careful that they're not moving out too many because at the moment the Bruins are without a first and a second round pick um, in this year's draft. So it'll be interesting to see. could also be interesting to see um, if the Bruins decide to trade someone, try to get a draft pick back. You know, I think that Mike Riley and Jakob Saboral are probably the two most likely guys to get traded. And I think, you know, I'm not sure how the Bruins value both of those guys because Saboral's got a guy that has played a little bit of NHL time this year, but really has not really gotten into a game. You know, the Bruins have him under contract for very little over the next two seasons, you know, so it's hard because I think Riley could have some value to the Bruins if the Bruins need someone to play, if guys get hurt. But on the other hand, another team could really use someone like Riley as a really solid puck mover. So, you know, it could be possible if the Bruins look at the market for Mike Riley and see if they could take advantage if a team is willing to give up, you know, a second or a third or a fourth round pick, um, and the Bruins bring bring some type of haul back for him, you know, Jacob Lauko is also someone that they could move. Um, so it's just going to be interesting to see. You know, I would expect that a defenseman gets traded by the Bruins. So I just can't see them keeping Zaboral and Riley on the roster to, you know, NHL defensemen that, you know, essentially amount to your eighth and ninth defenseman. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but trade deadline Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. have obviously been some moves already. We'll talk about that later um, in the podcast. So we'll take a look back at the Bruins, take a look at their schedule the rest of this week. Obviously in Edmonton tonight, in Calgary tomorrow night, and then... As we open the month of March, Bruins will be back home for four in a row. They'll play Buffalo at the Garden Thursday night, and then they'll play the Rangers at TD Garden on Saturday afternoon. So that should be an interesting game. Rangers obviously acquiring uh, Tarasenko a couple of weeks ago. Kind of does seem like a foregone conclusion that Patrick Kane will be traded to the Rangers. Uh, kind of seems like it's a... a Taylor Hall situation that, you know, basically with his no movement clause, he can, uh, or no trade, no movement, whatever it is, that he can basically dictate where he's going to get traded. So you got to think it's going to be the Rangers. And I think, you know, the trade could be done at some point this week. So maybe you see Patrick Kane in a Rangers jersey on Saturday afternoon. Sure, it would be an exciting game to watch. So I think that's going to do it for the Bruins. We're going to jump back or jump over to the other tenants of TD Garden. The Boston Celtics came off a pretty exciting win on Saturday night against the Sixers. Celtics have gone down to the wire with their first two games out of the All-Star break. In both games, uh, Jason Tatum making plays. You know, a pretty tremendous uh, tip off a missed shot in Indiana that pretty much gave the Celtics the win in overtime, 142-138 the final 
on Thursday night, and then obviously Saturday night, struggling all game, you know, really struggling to hit any type of shots, you know, really was never in rhythm. And then the Celtics drop a play to get Tatum the ball, drills the game-winning three, and, you know, the Celtics are very lucky that uh, Derek White had enough, you know, was focused enough, had the right, or had the presence of mind to uh, get in the way of Joel Embiid, so he took just enough time to have the buzzer expire before that, before he let that shot go that, you know, would have counted if there was, you know, three-tenths of a second more on the clock. So, you know, huge shot by Tatum, huge defensive play by Derek White, which, you know, happened to just be in Embiid's way as he, you know, flung that ball 70 feet and, you know, drilled the shot. You know, that was, I mean, had to have been one of the craziest shots I've ever seen in my life. You know, so excited after Tatum hits that shot. Um, you know, back in my mind, I was thinking, okay, 1.3. That is more than enough time for someone to catch and shoot. But Derek White gets in Embiid's way just enough so that the buzzer sounds right before the ball leaves his hand. So Celtics get the win. But holy cow, that was a pretty amazing shot by Embiid. But, you know, I think it's one of those things that the players always know. And you could see on Embiid's face that he knew it was after the buzzer. So, you know, that helped. But just a big clutch win for the Celtics, having a couple of wins that went down to the wire and the Celtics, you know, come out on top. So very impressed with the last couple of minutes or last couple of possessions, I guess. Some of the last possessions, I guess you could say, by the Celtics. You know, great job at Joe Missoula drawing up that last play. Marcus with a great pass. Jason Tatum hits the three in rhythm. So just goes to show you that you can be struggling all game. You can be missing shots. You can be, you know, playing out of character. But as long as you knock down a shot at the end of the game, no one cares how you do. Not previously in a game. So it was great to see Jason making some plays at the end of the game um, because the Celtics are going to need that. You know, going into the playoffs and in the playoffs, the Celtics are going to need Jason to make shots when it counts because playoff basketball a lot more intense, a lot more close than most of these regular season games. Not to say that these regular season games are not close because clearly they have been the last couple, but, you know, the Celtics are going to need their best players to make plays, you know, when it counts. So it was great to see Jason making plays on both of those games, you know, not not relaxing after a missed shot, driving to the basket to get a tip. Um, he also did that earlier in the Sixers game um, on Saturday. I think that was in the fourth quarter. It was a similar type play where someone missed a shot. He comes flying in and tips it in. So, you know, just great work by him. Great work by the team to be able to withstand that Sixers run in the last couple of minutes um, and be able to not have that get to them. You know, Sixers took the lead on a maxi layup. And Celtics don't call timeout. They find Al Horford for a wide-open three. He drills it, you know, and just goes to show you that this team is capable of making plays, you know, in those clutch moments. And then a couple timeouts by Missoula. Celtics drop a great play to get Tatum the ball on the run, and he drills the three. So I think late-game execution is something you want to continue to see the Celtics doing well because... They've obviously had some issues with that at times this season. And, you know, you're going to see a lot of those types of games in the playoffs where you're going to have to execute in late game situations. So definitely a good type of, I don't want to say like a practice run, but a good game to kind of be able to test things out, especially in a hostile environment against a team that you could possibly match up against in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, so just great job by Tatum, coaching staff, drawing up plays to, to, to get the win. So obviously a couple wins for the Celtics out of the break. Celtics are in New York tonight playing the Knicks. Celtics are pretty busy over the next couple of weeks with games uh, seemingly every other day. So it would be a good opportunity for the Celtics to you know, kind of get into a, a rhythm of 
playoff schedules, playoff style schedule. You're playing every other day. So, you know, and some quality opponents you're playing. You know, if you look at the Celtics next five, next five games, two games against the Knicks, two games against the Cavs, and a game against Brooklyn. Celtics have three games in a row at home this week. Cleveland, Brooklyn, New York. We'll take a look at that uh, schedule in a moment. But I think good opportunities to go up against some of these teams that you could possibly see in the playoffs. You know, some may be more likely than others, but it'll be a good kind of test for them, you know, as they get into the stretch run. Uh, one of the things that was great to see over the break is the Celtics were able to get fully healthy, uh, were able to go into both of these games against Indiana and Philadelphia with a fully healthy bench or fully healthy team, uh, except for Gallinari, obviously, is still repairing his torn ACL. But interesting that I think the rotation has gotten a little tighter with the team being at full health, which I'll be honest, I think I can see, I, can, or I feel like I, I see pros and cons to it, where the pros are you want to tighten up a rotation so when you get into the playoffs, there's no questions about who's going to get what minutes and things like that. But on the other hand, you know, it kind of is like there were guys that were playing really well for you when guys were out hurt, and it just seems like those minutes are changing. You know, Derek White in particular, and I just feel like he's been excellent for this team over the last few weeks. And I just feel like it's better for the Celtics to have him on the floor in, you know, closing games out. Um, they didn't, you know, I think Brogdon was on the floor and look, I love Malcolm Brogdon, but I just think Derek White, the way that he plays, the way that he competes, you want to see him on the floor at almost all times. So it's something the Celtics are going to have to work with, but you know, it's just one of those things that it was like, it shocked me that Grant Williams played six minutes the other night in Indiana. Cause I thought that, okay, he's kind of a main rotation player, which the Celtics, I think, typically, when they get into the playoffs or get around the playoffs, they like to tighten the rotation to eight or nine guys, but it's just, you have a really deep bench, and so I feel like, yeah, you can feel confident that your bench is really deep, but on the other hand, you want to make sure that guys are playing so they're not coming into, you know, big-time playoff games not playing in, in like a month, so I think it'll be interesting to see you know, how it get, how that gets managed, you know, how the Celtics tinker with that over the final 21 games. But it's also, I think, might be important to get guys some games off for rest, you know. You could see Jason Tatum taking some games off or Jalen Brown, who I think is not playing tonight because of personal reasons. That might be a separate thing, you know, rest or something else. But, you know, I think... Obviously, things in the Eastern Conference do affect how you play through it, but I do also think that you got to make sure that your guys are as fresh as they can possibly be when you start the playoffs in the middle of April. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I think you want this team to be as deep as they possibly can. And I just feel like playing eight or nine guys, it doesn't necessarily play to your strengths. You know, that you have guys like Muscala and Pritchard and Luke Cornett who have played solid for you at times. And I don't know, it doesn't really seem right that they just have, you know, DNPs. But at the same time, you do want to be tightening up your playoff rotation. So it's not kind of unexpected what that looks like. And I think they want to get a group together so that there's continuity with you know, the starting five and the first couple of guys off the bench because it's kind of been clunky the last couple of weeks that they've not had everyone available. And now that they do finally have everyone available, they want to kind of figure out what that rotation looks like. Um, but I will say that one of the positives of the Celtics bench is they're always ready when called upon, whether that's Pritchard, whether that's Luke Cornett, whether that's Muscala, when he's played, they're always ready and they're always ready to go. Blake Griffin is also a great example, too, that he's a guy that can come in after not playing really at all for a few weeks, and he can come in and play great basketball. I mean, nothing was more 
evident than that win against the Sixers a couple of weeks ago where he hadn't played. He comes in and hits five threes, starts against the starts against the Sixers, Celtics win, you know, so the Celtics bench, you know, staying ready. So, you know, as we said, games against the Knicks uh, or game against the Knicks this uh, tonight and then three home games in a row, Cleveland, Brooklyn and New York. Knicks are back at the Garden on Sunday. So kind of a busy week for the Celtics against Eastern Conference teams. The Knicks are playing some pretty good basketball. We'll take a look at the standings uh, later in the podcast, but I'm really looking forward to how the Celtics look in the next couple of weeks with, you know, the Eastern Conference getting a little bit, a little or the top of the East getting a little closer. You know, the Bucks have not lost a game in weeks. You know, they won 14 in a row and still breathing down the Celtics' neck for that number one seed, which, you know, I go back and forth on whether that's very important because at the end of the day, you want your guys to be healthy. And that's kind of the most important thing. But on the other hand, you know, a home game in the Game 7 of the Conference Final, you know, would be pretty nice. However... Celtics did win a game seven on the road last year, so maybe it's not the most important thing. And I think also, you know, Eastern Conference Finals going to a game seven, you know, there like there's a way that that couldn't happen. You know, the Bucks somehow get upset in the first two rounds, or you know, you're able to to win the series in six games or something like that. Um, but I think that. How much do the Celtics value uh, home court in a potential game seven? You know, I think that that would be the question is, is home court or is preserving your guy's health more important? And honestly, I think you can make an argument for either of those things. Um, but just something to watch over the next uh, 20, 21 games until we're to the end of the regular season. So I think we're going to, be done with the Celtics. I'm going to move on talk a little bit about the Red Sox, who um, have opened up spring training with some games. They won 7-6 to six yesterday. I was just trying to find a tweet from Pete Abraham, uh, Red Sox writer for the Globe, about the um, lineup today. Okay, so uh, Red Sox obviously with a win yesterday, 7-6 to six over the Rays. Red Sox have played two official games, tied their first game against the Braves, and then won 7-6. Obviously, you've heard about some of the uh, rule changes in Major League Baseball that uh, actually came into play in the first uh, regular season game. So I guess there's you know this new pitch clock rule that you have to be in the batter's box after a certain amount of time, or the pitcher has to be ready to throw after a certain amount of time. I think it's like 15 seconds. It's a certain amount of time if someone's on base or not. And so the uh, Braves got called for a strike three when they had the bases loaded um, because they think a batter took too long or something like that. So game ended in a tie. It sounded like the two teams were fine playing just nine innings, which is usually what happens. Um, in some spring training games that you could have teams decide whether they want to play extra innings or not. So with that being literally the very first game, didn't surprise me that it ended in a tie. Red Sox get the win, though, yesterday, 7-6. to six, And Ryan Fitzgerald, one of the Red Sox minor leaguers, hit a walk-off single. So, you know, not much of a celebration if you watched uh, any of that game yesterday. But I think some solid signs. Um, in particular, from Masataka Yoshida, the Red Sox new Japanese outfielder, seemed like he's hit the ball well in his first couple of games. Um, Red Sox did also have like an unofficial first game Friday against Northeastern. It sounded like he had gotten a hit in that game as well. So good start for him, uh, which I think is important. You know, I think yes, spring training versus regular season games are pretty different, 
But I think to get him going and get him kind of into a rhythm is going to be important. I think especially if the Red Sox have a thought that he possibly leads off, um, you know, a guy that's getting accustomed to the pitching um, in North America. And, you know, if he's a guy that can get on base from that leadoff spot, it's going to make this team that much more dangerous offensively, which I think this is a team that you want to see them do well offensively so that there's not a lot of pressure on the pitching rotation because it's a rotation that I think you really don't know what you're going to expect. You know, you need, there are a couple of guys in that rotation that really need to stay healthy if they're going to have a good season. And so I think if you can have an offense that can get on base consistently, can drive in runs consistently, then it makes the pitching rotation not kind of be, not having to kind of shoulder the load, so to speak. So I think good signs from him, from Yoshida in the first couple of games. Red Sox will play the, tw- play the Twins uh, this afternoon at 1 o'clock. So the Pete Abraham tweet that I was going to pull up uh, was from earlier this morning as to his his tweet about the lineup today. So um, I'm imagining that this is the lineup in order um, and not just field positions, but... Yes, so I think it is. So Yoshida first, leading off in left, then Verdugo in right, Justin Turner at first base, Devers at third base, Kike at shortstop, Adam Duvall at DH, uh, Christian Arroyo at second, Reese McGuire catching, and then Jaron Duran in center field with Cutter Crawford uh, getting the start today. So I think, you know, interesting thoughts with Yoshida leading off. I think that Alex Cora had said something in the Globe the other day that doesn't necessarily think that Yoshida will be leading off, which, you know, I'm not really sure what I think about that because I think you want to have your best on-base guy leading off um, or one of your better guys. So I think that the leadoff spot typically has been an issue for the Red Sox. So I think finding someone that can lead off and get on base is going to be important for, you know, the reasons I had said earlier. Um, but I think this definitely gives you an idea of what the lineup could look like. Um, I think particularly with the corner outfield spots with Kike at shortstop. Um, I'm very interested about Jaron Duran and see the type of spring that he has, the type of season he could possibly have. Because I think if he can be a solid contributor in center field in particular, it can give Adam Duvall some games where he can DH. And it's not that he's a bad fielder. I actually think he's a pretty solid fielder. Um, but I think it would give him the ability to kind of just focus on his hitting every once in a while. That This isn't to say that this is what the lineup is going to look like every single day. Because I do think that, you know, Casas will probably be in the lineup at first base most of the time. Um, and then you would probably think that maybe the Red Sox turn to Turner to play first base if there's a left-hander on the mound. But, you know, again, this can all change. This is game three of the uh, spring training schedule, so a lot can change. So definitely will be interesting to watch, you know, what that lineup continues to look like, you know, in games that the Red Sox have the majority of their starters. So I think, you know, Casas is another guy that could be in there. You know, outfield, you know, like I said, with with Duran, that's going to be really interesting to see because I think the Red Sox do want to have Verdugo switch over to play right field. Um, But it's like you look at the outfielders that they have, you know, there's Tapia that the Red Sox got uh, from free agency, you know, Rob Refsnyder, but neither of those guys are really kind of everyday players. You know, Duran is someone that I think the Red Sox are hoping he can be kind of similar to an everyday guy where, you know, he can give Adam Duvall a chance to to rest. But I do think on most days, you're probably going to see Cassis at first, Turner at DH, Duvall in center field. And so there could be some games where they give Duvall the chance at DH, Durant in center field. But I think Durant's got to be playing at a high level um, if he's going to be getting into the lineup every so often. And I think 
is a guy that, you know, put his foot in his mouth a couple times last year and kind of rubbed some people the wrong way with some of his effort. But, you know, I think that you hope that he can learn from that and he can have what it takes to be an everyday type of player for the Red Sox. Because if he can, and he can show off that potential that he had last year, the year before, it could really help this team out. Um, so it seems like the Red Sox are going to get some guys with starts this week. Josh Winkowski pitched yesterday. Cutter Crawford going today. James Paxton, I think, is pitching at some point later this week. So it'll be interesting to see when we see Chris Sale, when we see Corey Kluber, when we see Garrett Whitlock. You know, curious to see what that looks like. It sounds like Nick Pavetta is still dealing with uh, some COVID symptoms, so not really sure when we would see him next. But it's a good opportunity for these guys to get some innings in. You know, the relievers, too. You've seen some innings. Uh, Richard Blyer, I think, pitched an inning or two the other day. Um, so I think most of these spring training games, you're going to have a lot of guys that pitch who you've never heard of. But it will be interesting to see the guys who are likely going to be on the roster, you know, and kind of see how they pitch um, in their limited innings that they're going to throw. So the Red Sox schedule for the rest of the week, obviously, a game against the Twins today. They're in, or they're at Miami and then at Houston Tuesday and Wednesday, 640 start against the Marlins tomorrow, 105 against Houston on Wednesday, the Red Sox host Philadelphia, 12 p.m. on Thursday, and then they have games through the weekend against Minnesota, Houston, Miami. <clears throat> so, um, I think, you know, as I mentioned with the with the rule changes, really like that. You know, I think it's a way that games can, <laughs> games can be a lot faster. And I think you're already seeing the change, which I think is just kind of one of the biggest things with this sport that you want them playing at a quicker pace so games don't take three and a half hours and games are closer to two and a half hours. Um, so I think it's already helping, you know, what's going to be an interesting rule change that I think is going to take some time to get used to clearly. But I think it's a it's a good sign already that there are guys that are already mentioning that they enjoy the new uh, rules. So we'll continue to have updates from spring training for the Red Sox. So we're now going to get into the revolution, believe it or not. Their uh, season started this past weekend. I know it's wild. The uh, season starting in, you know, early February when there's, you know, snow on the ground in New England and the revolution do uh, kick off their home slate this weekend <laughs> again believe it or not but a great start for the revs over the weekend a one nothing win in charlotte uh, for their first game first win of the season um, first time since 2013 that the revolution have won a, a season opening game so the revs win in charlotte henry kessler game winning goal in the 89th minute Tremendous win for the Revs, you know, I think just to get out, um, get out into this, to start the season with, with some momentum, you get a win, kind of was a clunky start to last year with all the different competitions the Revs were playing in, but I think this season gives them an opportunity to start fast, which they did with their first win, so really pleased with the team's effort in that game, you know, it's a Charlotte team that has a pretty good fan base, you know, with being an expansion team, you know, over 60,000 people um, in Charlotte over the weekend, Revs get the win. Um, but I think it's just great for the momentum that the Revs can get started on the right foot. They can come home for their home opener with a game and a win under their belt, you know, playing against Houston this Saturday. But really impressed with the Revs win. I think defensively they were solid you know Dave Romney and Henry Kessler were the guys in the middle that I think had a pretty good game you know John Veneziano when we talked about uh, the Revs early start or when we did like a, the Revs season preview 
a couple of weeks ago, he had mentioned that he would expect that that could be the pairing in the middle, which it was, and I think the Revs had a good game. You know, I think uh, it was interesting to see what the lineup looked like with Polster and Carlos, Carlos Hill in the middle and uh, Frioni and Dylan Barrero up top. Um, and Damian Rivera also got a start too. So it was good to see some of the young guys getting a chance. Noel Buck also got a chance as well. Um, and I think he looked really good in that season opener. Um, had a couple of great setups, um, including the setup that led to uh, Kessler's goal. So I think he's someone that, you know, at 18, 18 years old, uh, is someone that can hopefully kind of bring in a little bit more of a youth movement uh, for this Revs team. So it was great to see him get a start. Great to see him play well. You know, and hopefully you can see him staying in the lineup because as good as the Revs, you know, veteran guys are, the guys who are always in the lineup, you want to see some improvement, some development from some of their younger players. So it was great to see him get a start and get into a game and play well. So great opening win for the Revs. They will host the Houston Dynamo Saturday at 7.30 at Gillette. That will be their season opener. So really looking forward to this season, you know, off to a great start and hopefully that continues. The Revs are going to play pretty regularly the first couple of weeks in the season, have some road trips. They go to LAFC March 12th and then they go to DC March 25th but a decent amount of home games uh, to open the season. The Revs, obviously having that home or that season opener on the road, but six of their next nine games are going to be at Gillette. So hopefully the Revs can get into a little bit of a rhythm and get off to a good start, which is not what they had last year. So here's hoping that that continues. Um, so before we move on to kind of the national stuff, it was announced, I think it's either last week or the week before, or no, it was last week, that uh, Matthew Slater is returning to the Patriots, and uh, just great to see that, that he'll be back for his uh, 16th season um, in New England. So I think, <clears throat> I think it's just great from a leadership perspective that, you know, the Patriots can see someone who's been a leader for this team pretty much since the moment he stepped into Gillette Stadium, uh, returned for another season. Because I think that this is a team that's going through a transition, you know, leadership-wise, roster-wise, coaching-wise. And so I think to have someone still here as kind of a, a pillar of leadership is huge because I think it's important for the younger guys to see a guy like Slayer be a leader. You know, and I think that depending on whether Devin McCourty returns, you know, that's another leader. But I think the great thing about Slater is I think he's returning because he wants to play, you know, and was a pretty good player for the team last year as he made a number of special teams tackles. So I don't think that this is like a ceremonial, you know, don't retire, we need you type of thing. This is a thing that he can still play and he can still play at a high level. So very pleased with that decision. Um, so we'll obviously keep you updated on any more Patriot stuff that happens between now and um, the start of free agency, which will start in a couple of weeks. We got the uh, draft combine starting, I believe this week, uh, some reports about certain prospects that may or may not participate uh, physically at the combine. I know that teams still interview players, so Keep you updated on that. Keep you updated if uh, there's any news about Devin McCourty, who actually was on uh, Good Morning Football this morning on uh, NFL Network, had some great things to say about Mac Jones. So you should definitely check out that interview. I don't want to say anything because I think it's uh, really important to go watch that. So I think that that's going to do it. We're going to take a look at some uh, league notes from uh, around the sports world. So we'll take, do NFL first, because there was plenty of news um, already this morning about guys in the combine, because it sounded like uh, the 
one of the one of the possible top picks, uh, Georgia defensive lineman DeAndre uh, or Jalen Carter, excuse me, um, that he will not be working out for the combine. Uh, will still be interviewing teams, but it sounds like there are more and more guys that I think are going to participate in drills at their pro days as opposed to the combine. So Jalen Carter will not work out, but it sounds like we'll still interview with teams. Uh, Bryce Young, I believe, also will not will not be um, participating in the combine, but will perform at Alabama's pro day on March 23rd. Other quarterbacks, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson will be throwing at the combine, uh, which I believe will start later this week. So you can check those, check that out on NFL Network. Might have to go um, to the NFL's website just to see what times um, that will be later this week. The Jaguars extending Roy Robertson Harris on a three-year extension. That was reported the other day. And there also was news this morning that the Chicago Bears are leaning towards moving the uh, top pick that they have. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. Is you know got to think that the Bears probably think that they're set at quarterback um, and will likely try to deal that first pick. So it'd be interesting to see what team ends up getting that first pick if it indeed does get traded. So I think we're going to move to the NHL. Obviously, there have been uh, some trades that have come up. We'll take a look at some of them. Uh, Timo Meyer getting traded to the Devils uh, late yesterday, so that was completed. Uh, the Lightning getting Tanner Janot from the Nashville Predators for a ridiculous amount of draft picks, which, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really want to say my piece about it, but... Tampa Bay really trying to go all in to win again. Um, Barry Trotz, it sounds like, is returning as the Predators GM. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights got Ivan Barbashev from the Blues as they continue to make trades. Um, I think that that's it. I don't think there's another trade I was forgetting. It sounded like Jack Johnson um, is returning to the Avalanche he was previously with. Blackhawks, so he's returning. So, yeah, really the major trade yesterday was Timo Meyer, um, Scott Harrington also going over to the Devils in that tr in that trade. The Sharks getting Fabian Zetterland and a couple of picks in that trade. Uh, but I think I covered all the major trades that have recently happened. Uh, Nino Niederreiter goes from the Predators to the Jets. That was a pretty good trade for the Jets, in my opinion. Um, but obviously, trade deadline later this week on Friday at 3 p.m., so certainly you'll see some more moves being made. Are the Bruins going to be involved? Who knows? You know, we'll see. I'm very curious to see if they make another move, whether it's to, to add or possibly subtract to recoup some draft picks. Wouldn't be surprised if they did either of those two things, so... We'll take a quick look at the schedule for tonight. Bruins and Oilers, obviously, at 8.30 tonight. Uh, Detroit and Ottawa playing at 7. Vancouver and Dallas at 8.30. Vegas and Colorado at 9. And then Chicago and Anaheim at 10 o'clock. Take a quick look at the standings. As we have just... Most teams, I would say, have around 20 or 24 games left. Uh, Bruins, obviously leading the pace in the Eastern Conference and in the Atlantic Division. They have a 13-point lead over the Toronto Maple Leafs, Tampa Bay, or excuse me, Toronto and Tampa Bay comfortably in second and third, Carolina and first in the Metro with just a three-point lead over the New Jersey Devils, who just got a lot better with the Timo Meyer trade, um, and then the Rangers in third. So as I was thinking to myself yesterday, if you look at these two divisions, it seems like the top three is pretty set. You know, there could be some changes in seeding, um, I think specifically in the Metro, but, you know, Bruins, Maple Leafs, Lightning, Hurricanes, Devils, Rangers, you know, you got to think that that's 
six of your playoff teams right there. And then the real question is, who are those last two wildcard teams? Because Pittsburgh is in a pretty good spot with 67 points, but they're just a point up on Buffalo, three points on Detroit. Um, the or No, see, I read this wrong, so no. The Islanders are in first in the first wildcard spot uh, with 69 points. Pittsburgh's in second with 67 points. And then Buffalo is one point back. Detroit and Florida and Washington are three points back. Now, this is what I was noticing. So, Pittsburgh has 59 games played. The Islanders have 63 games played. You look at the rest of these teams that are in the hunt. Buffalo, Detroit uh, have 58 points. So, they have a lot of games in hand on the Islanders. Florida has 61 games played. Washington is 62, so they're not in great spots as three of the teams ahead of them have multiple games in hand. So doesn't look great for the teams that have played a lot of games already. So it's going to be interesting to see, but I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of uh, change, you know, every single day. I think you're going to see changes in, in the standings there. So Really, it could be any teams, any of those teams that I mentioned that the Bruins could possibly uh, play in the first round of the playoffs. So, be interesting to pay attention to in the Western Conference. It does seem like it's a little more, you know who the teams are going to be, but you don't know what order they're going to be in because all these teams are so close. In the Pacific, Vegas has the division lead and the conference lead with 76 points, but the Kings are right there, 74 points, Oilers have 72, and then in the Central, Dallas is 74 points, Minnesota 72, Colorado 71, so like things are changing every single day in the West, uh, Winnipeg is in that first wild card spot with 71 points, Seattle second with 70, and Calgary is four points back, Nashville six points back, so pretty sure that it's going to be those eight teams that make the playoffs, you know, could possibly see Calgary or Nashville making a run, but I think pretty confident that the eight teams that are in the playoffs are going to be the teams, you know, unless something changes. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. So I think we're going to take a look at uh, some M NBA stuff. Four games on the league schedule tonight, Celtics, Knicks, at 7.30, Pistons and Hornets at 7. Uh, Heat and Sixers also at 7. And then Magic and Pelicans at 8 o'clock. Uh, Damian Lillard with a career high 71 points last night. Pretty amazing performance uh, for him as we've seen a lot of great offensive performances this season. Um, so the Hawks last week firing Nate McMillan, bringing back or bringing in, I should say, uh, Quinn Snyder on a five-year deal. So he will uh, coach the Hawks, I would assume, immediate, immediately as the Hawks are kind of in a tough position in the Eastern Conference, trying to uh, fortify a spot in the play-in. So we'll take a look at the standings in the East. Celtics, you know, continue to have the lead in the East, but by the skin of their teeth with the Bucks winning 14 games in a row, which is pretty remarkable. Um, getting another win last night, or getting another win yesterday without Giannis. They beat the Suns 104-101, so the Bucks still breathing down the Celtics' back. But I think the great thing is the Celtics do have a tiebreaker um, over the Sixers with that win on Saturday. So even if the Celtics end up tied with the Sixers, they would get the advantage. Celtics and Bucks obviously have split their first two games. There is a game later this season in Milwaukee, which would be massive for a tie-breaking scenario, so that will be interesting to see uh, what happens with that game, what happens between now and then. Uh, but the Celtics still half-game lead over the Bucks, four-game lead over the Sixers. The Cavaliers are in fourth, followed by the Nets and the Knicks, who have won five in a row. Went 8 of 10, and the Celtics are, are in New York to play the Knicks tonight. So that should be an interesting game to see. Hopefully Celtics can 
um, manage without Jalen Brown, who will not play tonight. Um, taking a look at the play-in standings, the Heat are in 7th, Hawks in 8th, Raptors in 9th, and then the Wizards in 10th, with the Bulls just a half game back of that final play-in position. Taking a look at the Western Conference, Denver has uh, continued to widen their lead, five-and-a-half game lead for first place over Memphis. Sacramento is in third, Suns in fourth, followed by the Clippers and the Mavericks. And then in the play-in spots, you have the Warriors, the Jazz, Timberwolves, and the Pelicans with Portland just a half game back of that final play-in spot. And the Lakers are a game back. Oklahoma City is a game and a half back, so... Things will get uh, very, very interesting in the next couple of weeks as most teams have about 20 or so games left. So be interesting to see what ends up happening. So um, I think that's probably going to do it for, for, for me this week. Uh, great to be back with you folks uh, on the podcast. Uh, have more uh, Bruins and NHL thoughts uh, later this week on Guest Friday. We'll have some kind of special March Madness plans for you guys that hopefully I can get figured out in the next couple of days. Uh, But yeah, we'll be back with you folks next Friday, or this this Friday, I should say. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your week, and uh, we'll talk to you Friday.